Well, how fun to be. Uh, I love missions conference time. Uh, and I'm going to tell you why in just a little bit, but I, I'm just thrilled to be with you this morning. Uh, my wife, Dawn, honey, would you stand right here? We traveled in from Denver, Colorado. And uh, we have fond memories of having stood on this platform at the beginning of our married life 32 years ago. And uh, uh, Lakeview has a special place in our hearts. We, uh, for those of you who are unacquainted with, with who we are and what we do, um, we have been sending for the last 33 years itinerant preachers all around the world. Um, we have 26 of them today who, by God's grace, tens of thousands of spiritual decisions are being made annually. So, so for many years, we designed and developed training and equipping opportunities so that uh, through print and audio resources and equipping times that are happening throughout the year, uh, we have the opportunity to help people aim at spiritual formation and practical ministry training so that our passion is that every Christian would become, every Christian would become a heart on fire and a life on purpose. We know that's the design of our Creator. And, and so as that's taking place, we have a base camp out of Denver, Colorado. We were birthed here uh, in this city. But for uh, the last 30 years, we have been based out of Denver, Colorado. So we're in central time zone, kind of equal flying distance, coast to coast and around the world. And, and absolutely thrilled to see what God has done and God is doing. Uh, some of you have asked a little bit about our kids. And uh, we have prayer cards with us. You can see our son and our daughter on the prayer cards. And we've added to our number. We have a, a daughter-in-law now. We have a son-in-law. We have a grandson. So uh, we're in that season, that stage of life. And uh, we would love for you to grab either a prayer card or please grab a ministry guide to learn a little bit more about what God is doing and how you can access that and uh, your family can access the things that are available through what we do. We'd be honored if you would stop by the ministry resource table, uh, visit with us and, and pick up some material and take it with you. We want to stay in touch. Um, we are thrilled to have one of our uh, Firebrand speakers with us this morning who bases out of Grant County, Nicholas Hines. Would you stand? It's just such a great privilege to be with you this morning. And Nicholas will be at that table as well. As I get to travel uh, the world, in whether I'm in Hyderabad, India, whether I'm in Vietnam, whether I'm in Eastern Europe, um, it is a pleasure uh, with every university or American college campus I get to speak to, our local churches, to be able to ask a question that I'm quite interested in because I have grown up with this this hardwire passion inside me. I just I, I'm I'm intrigued to find that the the Creator who made us all actually hardwired us with this desire. So I'd, I'd like to ask you the question, and, and it's just simply this. How many of you in this room, and I'm, I'm going to confess, both my hands are going to go up because I've lived with this for a long time. How many of you don't want to become extinct without significance? You want your life to count for the cause that counts. You want your life to make an impact. You don't know exactly how all that happens, but you know you want your life to make an impact. Hands up all over the room if you want your life to make an impact. You know, it looks at first blush at about 100%. And I find that everywhere. And the good news is the reason you have this desire, you want your life to make an impact, is because your master creator positioned that within you because he said through his prophet Jeremiah, he said, I know the plans I have. For you and their plans not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. God has a plan. How is that plan lived out in our lives in a way that enables us not to become extinct without significance, but for each one of our lives to make an impact? I want to tell you how because it's more simple than, than some people have ever imagined. And, and it's been a, a fascinating study for me for my entire life. Trying to figure out, God, how is this that you do this? You, you put this desire in us. You've decided this is your plan. We are your plan. How do you work that plan through us that our lives do, in fact, have the opportunity to make an impact? And I would tell you first and foremost that legacy living, impactful legacy living, is a lot of singular moments where opportunity has a short season. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow, and it's what you do in that split second of opportunity. Whether it is the life that's in front of you, 
the moment when the Holy Spirit prompts you to act on something, whether it's a particular gift that you're to give or it's a prayer that He desires for you to pray, a life He'd like you to come alongside. Divine promptings by God remind me a lot of my early coach uh, who came to Mississinawa as a new coach where I was attending as a young student, and he was our volleyball coach. And as a volleyball coach, he introduced us to the idea there would be no superheroes on the team. It takes a team, and he said, we're going to play as a team, and you need to understand that we're going to use a word uh, out on the court, and that word is set. And you are going to work I don't ever want to see that ball on the other side of the net without three different activities where you will set that person and that person will set another person and we will strategically position ourselves for victory. Set, set, set. And all of you will need to pay attention to when the ball is headed your direction with the word set. And I would tell you that that's what our master divine creator does among us. He is often set Set and, and we're a compilation. We're a team of people comprised underneath a sovereign God who knows exactly what he's up to. And he needs us all to be involved as what I would call kingdom labors. I, uh, I hold between my thumb and my forefinger a, an object. It, 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 it might be so small you don't even know what I'm holding. Some of you even on the front row are sort of straining to see what it might be that I'm holding. It's so small. Uh, and, and perhaps because of its size, you would think it's insignificant. Uh, but what I'm holding right now um, is an acorn. Or am I holding an acorn or am I holding a A tree. Scripture tells us that we have the opportunity to become mighty oaks. And and I would say when God sees your life and he sees those set opportunities, while they look small to you in their infancy, when at the beginning of a set moment it looks so small, you could think it's inconsequential. You could think it wouldn't possibly matter. It's so small you might overlook your opportunity. Do you know that planted just right, This could grow to over a hundred feet tall, far above and beyond this facility, and and stretch out 126 feet wide. It it gives birth to to over 2,000 new fresh acorns, trees, and forests, and and eventually hardwood that would would be used to build ships, and and, uh, furniture, and, and floors for dining areas, and homes, and it's amazing what can happen through just small things when they come big become big in the master's hand that's that's what this book introduces me to and what christian history informs us in fact i i love looking at one particular new testament hero of mine who who is almost overlooked and undervalued because he he looks so small and insignificant in fact, turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 4. And, 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 and this is perhaps the most significant person in my mind, besides Jesus, the most significant person in the New Testament because of how he partners with God and what God does through his life. You find him first introduced in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Um, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called okay, now you know who he is, called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And you see the first thing he does in legacy living as a man who wants his life to make an impact, and there's a small opportunity in front of him. There is the first small fledgling church, people who used to set up folding chairs at the very beginning of what was being called Lakeview Church would, would, would kind of identify with the fact that this was just kind of an upstart and it, it was going to need a lot of help. And, and Barnabas had a field. Set, Barnabas, set. 
Now, we don't know anything about Barnabas' field. We don't know if there was emotional attachment to that field. We don't know if that field was his retirement plan. We don't know if sentimentally it had been passed down through generations and, and, and there was a lot of ownership. All we know is that Barnabas was looking to lead a high-impact life. And when Set came, he sold the field and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet for the very first Christian church that was trying to get off the ground. We know that it's in the record book for a reason. And here we sit in a church building today because churches began to mushroom and domino and ripple around the world. But there was someone in the very beginning who had a what seemed to be a small opportunity. It was just one field. But it's never too small and it's never too little. I know that from personal experience. I walked into this building, this larger facility, into a different sanctuary in 1972. My father was a pastor here, and and I was just trying to find my way around. And and, uh, I remember the young people in those days sat in the back rows, not the front rows, which eventually we kind of repositioned. But they were sitting in back rows, and I remember on Missions Conference Sunday, I was all of 13, and... uh, the boy beside me was named Jerry Hines. And, and as we sat there in that row, uh, they told us that they had faith promise cards tucked in our bulletin or in our pews, and we needed to get them out. And they instructed us as to what one was, which Cindy just told you. And, and, and then they gave us an opportunity to pause, pray, listen to God, and do whatever he told us to do. And they actually invited us, if we would, to just turn around and kneel at our pews. We used to kneel at pews. Kind of interesting, huh? That's a novel idea. So we knelt at our pews, and, and I thought, well, everybody's kneeling. This is a chance to talk to my buddy Jerry. And so, But he seemed very intentional. He had a pen in his hand, and he had a card in front of him, and he was starting to fill it out. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm filling out my faith promise. And I said, I think we're too young. I, think this is, I don't think this is for everybody. He said, oh, yeah, it's for everybody. He said, I did this last year. I said, you did? Well, you don't have a job. How'd you do that? He said, oh, I, you know, I had some summer work opportunities. And he said, I was really, I wondered how God was going to fulfill my pledge last year. And, and then my grandparents put extra cash in our Christmas socks, and it was just what I needed. It was another one of those faith promise stories, you know. And, and he said, Dwight, you ought to fill one out. That was a lot of years ago. And I filled out my first faith promise card. And God must have seen that small transaction as my desire to engage Him in His mission. See, I had prior to that engaged a relationship with God through a traveling itinerant evangelist named Jimmy Lentz who had come to our church and he was preaching up front and he kept using a phrase, come on now, come on now. And all of a sudden, he, I, I was engaged in what he was saying and he was giving an invitation and, and he said, uh, come on now, come on now. And, and what he was saying, come on now, was why don't you come to the front and walk an aisle and kneel. I turned to a person near me, do you want to go? They said, no, I don't. But boy, was the Holy Spirit at work in my heart. And The next thing I knew, the come on now, the next one I needed was just enough. And I walked the aisle and I knelt down and and gave my life to Christ. Now it's missions conference time. I've just filled out a... I didn't even know that all God needs is just a little bit of movement on our part. I filled out a faith promise card. And that afternoon, a world gospel mission mission missionary had come to our house for lunch and asked if he could go ice skating with me. He heard we were going ice skating at Glendale Lake. So... We went to the lake, and I, I thought, this missionary man, what will he know about ice skating? And so I, I practically just left him on the shoreline. But the next thing I knew, he was skating all around us, and, and pretty impressive. And I said, how did you learn to do that? And the guys won him on our hockey team because he was, he was really, his prowess was amazing on the ice. On the way back, walking from Glendale Lake to our home, which was across the field, I, I said, tell me about you. Like, where'd you learn to ice skate like that, and, and how'd you become a missionary? And walking along Southwestern Avenue, this road out here, he he began telling me a story, and all of a sudden it hit him. There was a small opportunity in front of him. And he turned to me, and he put his hand on my shoulder and said, Dwight, if God ever wanted you to do something like this, it'd be great, and you could do it. And he looked straight in my eyes. 
a holy shudder went through me, and I didn't understand what just happened. I couldn't wait to get to our home. I raced up the stairs, walked in the bathroom, closed the door, locked it, and God, what a world just happened. What was that? And several months later, a couple from this church named Wallace and Opal Brown passed me a letter they'd received from their missionary daughter being supported by Lakeview Church. They said, read page two and page three. She said, we're looking on our mission field for a young junior high or high school person who would come and volunteer for a summer. Wallace and Opal looked at me and said, we think that might be you. What do you think? If you chose to do that, the people of this church would get behind you. We know they would. We would. I prayed about it, and I knew that was what God wanted me to do as a young 15-year-old by that point. And... And I found out there wasn't anybody else who wanted to go, so it was going to be a solo venture. But it wasn't solo. Like Barnabas, who came alongside where God was at work giving what he had, I remember people of this church starting to write checks. But the one I remember the most was in an envelope with a letter inside. It was from a couple named Elman and Joyce Ott. Joyce had fancy, pretty handwriting, and, and she wrote in there, we, we believe in you, and our prayers are behind you, and we wanted to be a part of what God's doing in your life. You know, I, I don't think they could have ever imagined that that one teenager, in just one moment of his life, starting with a filled-out faith promise card, turned into a first mission trip and people who did what they could giving with what they had would launch a movement that today over one million decisions for Christ have resulted from to the glory of God. But it involves a team of people who do what we can where we are and understand that it is never too little. Barnabas did what he could with what he had. My friend Jerry Hines was doing what he could with what he had. Elman and Joyce Ott, they were humble people. They weren't well-resourced people. They were just living for God's whispers, set, set, set. And I know that for certain because when their son John called me one night and said, Dwight, two hours ago, my parents were tragically killed in an auto accident. We were friends. We'd been in the youth group together. And he said, I want you to sing at their funeral at Lakeview Church. And he called me the day before the funeral and said, Dwight, listen, uh, would you look at me before you sing that song I've asked you to sing? And, and, and if I nod my head, I want to try to say something. I couldn't imagine, like, John, how are you going to say anything? You've just lost your dad and your mom. Um, and, and I was seated over here, and, and I looked across, and John was seated right here. And, and, and in front of us were two lives that so quickly were gone, who had lived high-impact lives. And, and I knew it because I looked around the room. This place, with more seats actually in this auditorium all the way back, was flooded, uh, over a 1,000 people present. I looked at John and he nodded and I thought, oh, how are you going to do this? And he walked up these side steps and he, he walked up and then he looked out at all these people, international students who'd been invited for Christmas dinner who had nowhere to go, young people that they'd supported on mission trips and, and supported to go to miracle camp as teenagers and all the things that he knew were represented in all our lives and suddenly it hit him and he said, Dad, you were just a postman. Mom, you were just a secretary. But look at all these lives. And what he was saying is, it's never too little. Barnabas gave what he had and sold a field, but it's not the only thing he did. There are other ways that you and I get a chance to lead high-impact lives when God sets opportunities in front of us. And, and if you'll look with me over to chapter 9 of Acts, I love this portion of, of Barnabas' story because, boy, do I resonate with this part. Turn over to Acts chapter 9, and, and uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, you'll see it on the screen. In Acts chapter 9, there's a, there's a young guy who's, who's trying to, to become a part of the church, but everybody's sort of overlooking him and 
undervaluing this guy. In fact, they're not even sure he belongs there. (laughs) Well, thank goodness. There was somebody who wanted to lead a high-impact life, who, who looked across the room and recognized this guy's on the outside looking in. He's not yet on the inside. Somebody needs to come alongside this life. So you'll see this story in verse 26. This guy came to Jerusalem and he tried to join the disciples. They, they were all afraid of him. They didn't believe that he really was a disciple. They didn't see a high prospect missionary on the move in this life. They, they, he didn't look like anything other than a young rookie with not much promise or hope. I love verse 27. It says, and people, some of you in this room, this, this could have your name in it. It says, but Barnabas. What's, what's that about? But Barnabas. Barnabas saw him over there. I can almost imagine. What, what, what's your name? Saul. You aren't the Saul, are you? You, you are. What, what are you doing? Like, haven't you... Like, are, are you... No, you're, you want to be a part of us? Like, how did that happen? Like, I've heard your reputation. Like, don't you kill Christians? Don't, don't, don't you do terrible things to, to people like us? Oh, oh, you had an experience with Jesus on, on a road? What, what? Oh, my word, these guys should hear this. Well, they need to know you. You've tried to... Nobody's befriending you. Nobody's talking. Well, come here. I, I know these guys. They're my people. Come on, I'll do the talking. You can see this from verse 27. It says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Peter, you need to hear this guy's story. It's amazing. Our Lord came to him. And, and, and James, John, get over here. And it says, But Barnabas took him to the apostles and began to tell. He'd taken enough time to linger with this young life to learn his story. Learn his name. Learn his story. And Stay alongside and broker and bring him into. I remember the first man from this church. I watched the choir sing this morning. I remember the first man from this church saying, you ought to sing in the choir. And I thought I was too young and I didn't know how to read music. And he said, well, you just, you just come with me and I'll sit beside you and I'll, I'll point to the notes and you just kind of match my voice and I'll show you how. And I learned how to sing tenor in the choir from Harold. What in the world? Barnabas brought him over. Come on. No, no. You need, to, you need to meet these people. And the next thing you know, he was hearing and learning all sorts of stuff. And, and it says here, look, look at verse, uh, at chapter 9, verse 28. So Saul stays with him. He moves about freely in Jerusalem. He speaks boldly in the name of the Lord. Verse 29. He talked and debated with Grecian Jews. They tried to kill him, but when the brothers, now they're brothers, <laughs> he was on the outside looking in. Now he's on the inside because he had a broker named Barnabas who decided, no, these are my people, but they ought to be your people. Come on, let me get you into this group. All of a sudden, it says in verse 29, he talked and debated with Grecian Jews, and they tried to kill him. And when the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea, and they sent him off to Tarsus. And now you've got a young missionary on the move. Because there was a Barnabas looking for set opportunities, lives that others would have overlooked or perhaps undervalued, but not Barnabas. He was a partner with God looking for which life are you at work in? I had a state representative from the state of South Dakota say, Dwight, you're looking for thumbprinted people, aren't you? I said, I don't know. What's a thumbprinted person? He said, oh, that's a person that, it's like God's thumb is in their back. He's trying to move them out and and his mark is on them and he's got a plan for them. And he said, what What I want to do is just kind of come alongside that life and whatever way I can, pass them books that have helped me, pass them scriptures. I just want to come alongside that life and resource them, take them to missions conferences, get them around people, tell them about websites. He said, I just want to resource them with everything that's in my arsenal. All the stuff I've garnered, I want to pass to them. We'd call that baton passing. That's what Barnabas was doing for Saul. I'll tell you what, it's what happened for me here. I was in what they called the Alpha Junior High Youth Group. And uh, in the Alpha Junior High Youth Group, they needed more youth sponsors. And, and uh, they decided that they would elect a, a single gal named Jeanette Spratt to work with the Junior High Youth Group. 
And the next thing I knew, she'd recruited her dad and her mom, Bob and Elsie Spratt, and there were three of them teaming up on us, loving us, caring for us, caring all the way to this day about who we are, where we were going, and what God was seeking to launch. And sometimes when a life is being launched, it takes a tribe. So I graduated out of the Alpha Youth Group into the Oh, I was so excited to be in the Omega youth group. That was the, ju- the senior high group. And when I got into Omegas, I, I got to know a couple named Mason and Donna Landis. And Mason and Donna Landis pointed out to us that they didn't have any biological kids of their own, that we were their kids. We were their family. And they loved on us so much, launching our lives, launching us with love and with prayers and, and with tons of things that they would do so much so that one year we, we actually, as a youth group, we voted uh, Donna Landis as the mother of the year on Mother's Day. And we brought her up on the stage and put a crown on her head and said, you're mother of the year. She still has the picture. She, she and Mason were Barnabas-type people, like Jeanette Spratt, coming alongside lives that were beginning to be launched. Many of you in this room, your prayers, your financial gifts, coming alongside, sending kids to camp. I'm looking over here at at Dave Hines. Dave Hines, brother, when I was scared out of my wits to begin this ministry, you had already established yourself as somebody who would pray for me. And I honestly, I have so much confidence in the power of prayer. That when somebody tells me I'm praying for you, I just believe that God's going to do it. He doesn't, you know, I'm just a, I'm a rough, rugged project he's still working on. But I believe that there's people who are praying that maybe God will get something done. And Dave, when I was here in Marion, you would write me letters. Every Saturday you'd let me know you were praying for me. Would you like to know that's almost 40 years ago. And yesterday I got another text from you. You were praying for me. That's what Barnabases do. They, they come alongside thumbprinted lives and say, I'm not just here for a moment. Mason and Donna drove across country all the way from Marion to Denver, Colorado. Spent time with my wife and I just loving on us after all these decades. And when they went to walk out of our Center for Outreach and Training that we train thousands of people in every year, Donna stopped at the door and she gave me a hug and she said, well, Mason and I just needed to see where you're at and what you're doing. We believe in you. We're behind you. Why? Where did I learn Barnabas' style of coming alongside young lives? I learned it from you when you came alongside and still stay alongside my life. So, when coming back from a youth camp, miracle camp, where God worked miracles because you prayed and lives were being transformed there. And many of them were supposed to become future kingdom labors all over the place. We got back and we, we met together on that Saturday coming back from youth group and we, we prayed in that building over there. And the kids felt like what they heard God say was that this was to be a miracle center for their kids, their friends' lives, to receive miracles. Their confidence was so great that they'd been prayed for, they were going to start praying. And when I told them, you know, I actually gave my life to Christ in this building. I walked an aisle and knelt and gave my life to Christ in this building. They said, well, there's no altar in here. At that point, it had been a youth center long enough, there were no altars. They said, there used to be an altar in here? Well, well, why isn't there one now? I said, I I don't exactly know. And they said, well, let's put an altar back in here so our friends can give their lives to Christ. Carrie Bowman, who's seated here in the front row, you remember, we found Jack Holder, uh, a man from this church who was a carpenter who said, "I I can teach your boys how to build an altar. And we built and put an altar in that miracle center. And one by one, some of you seated here, you'd walk an aisle and you'd kneel at that altar. I stepped into a Washington, D.C. boardroom with the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. The executive pastor from First Baptist Orlando pulled up a seat beside me and said, Dwight, I bring greetings from one of your former youth group kids from, he said, oh, just a minute, is Lakeview Church in Marion, Indiana? He said, our children's pastor, leads over 500 children 
to love and know Jesus. And she said she walked an aisle in a place called a Miracle Center at Lakeview Church in Marion, Indiana, and gave her life to Christ there. And is a children's pastor today as a result. Mick Veach. His two children are here. Mickey and Morgan, I think I saw you earlier. There you are. Their dad had just come on a bus that one of the members of this church would service those buses every Saturday. Their dad had only come with his twin sister two Sundays before they were showing up for youth group and came to youth camp. And coming back, Mick bowed at that altar along with friends of his. And Mick not only gave his heart to Christ, but during a missions conference weekend, we took the kids on a missions retreat and he felt God calling him to go to an unreached people group halfway around the world where no one had ever gone, where there were no Christian churches in a Muslim land. When Mick went to go, he said, you know, I just am so thankful for the people who came alongside my life. He said, every Azari who comes to Christ, you need to know you will have had a part in. Because when I was 15, people poured into my life and stayed the course. And today, there's a vibrant church in Azerbaijan and other churches that have been spawned from that and throughout the Muslim world. And that young person who walked an aisle in this church and had lots of people coming alongside is pastoring a church plant in Detroit, Michigan, who last year when we went in to see this amazing church, a a Detroit cop picked my wife and I up at the airport, now a taxi driver, and he asked why we were there, and we said, we're going to go to a church in Midtown, Motown, tomorrow. He said, there's no church in that. This is a God-forsaken city. There's no church there, I promise you. I've been a Detroit cop. And we said, no, there is a multi-ethnic, powerful church there. It's five years old. He said, well, I, if it exists, I mean, I, I gave up on the city a long time ago. If it exists, I, I'd have to see it to believe it. We invited him to come with us. And he said, he said well, just give me a card. Maybe, maybe write it down. Maybe sometime I'll do that. But the next morning, my wife and I walked into that auditorium. Somebody had saved us a seat, and there was enough room on her side that she nudged me real hard. And coming around the back side and, and walking down that was our taxi driver, the former Detroit cop from the night before. And every time he'd start weeping, my, my wife would nudge me. At the end of the service, Mick Veach from this church, who's planted a church there, said, I, he put money in the plate and wrote a note. I can't believe what's happening in this city. This is a miracle. On and on the stories go. Not enough time to tell them all. What, what I want you to know is, aren't you grateful that Barnabas walked across a room and looked at a thumbprinted life that God had just gone set? Do you see him, Barnabas? Come alongside that life. I'm so grateful that I had Barnabases in my life. I'm so grateful that we understand because let me ask you, Like, you don't think Barnabas is that influential? Because he never, as far as you know, he never wrote a book, he never sang a song. Let me ask you, for that life that was on the outside looking in, let me ask you, how many of you have been affected by Ephesians or Philippians or Galatians or Colossians or 1st and 2nd Thessalonians or 1st and 2nd Timothy or or 1st and 2nd Corinthians? All those books were written by that young guy who was on the outside until somebody said, come on, and made a friend out of that young man. And began to bring him into the wealth of the kingdom. Introducing him to people and opportunities. That's what kingdom people do. By the way, my grandmother who used to inherit me sometimes so my parents would have a break. Can you tell I have more energy sometimes than I know what to do with? Am I wearing you out yet? I mean, I used to wear people out. And and I can remember, you know, people would... We had a... When I was little, my my aunt nicknamed me Dwight the Fright. (laughs) She did. And my dad and I had a lot of board meetings. They weren't around an executive table. We had a board at our house I had a lot of meetings with. And and I just, what I remember vividly was feeling like a project. But I can remember when I'd be dropped off at my grandmother's house because my parents deserved a break for an evening. And she'd pull out that big tin of dominoes that she had and she'd dump them all over her dining room table. And then we'd start lining up have you ever done this lined up dominoes how many of you you've lined up dominoes before and we're lining up hundreds she's got hundreds of them 
And, and, and I'd stay focused on, on this project that was in motion. She'd leave the room for a while, but I was still focused on getting all these. I wanted every single one of them in place. I was so excited. I'd call her. She had one of those old houses that would kind of move when you walked. So I asked her to walk carefully because I don't want this to happen prematurely. And when she gets up beside me, I'm about to touch that one when she grabbed my arm and she said, Son, grandson, no, 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 no. Don't you touch that yet. Grandson, I want you to pretend you're so... Now, this was before the Disney movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So, like, she is so ahead of her time. She said, Grandson, I want you to pretend you're so small that all you can see is one domino in front of you. But, Grandson, never forget, if you impact that one just right, it'll impact another that will impact another. And you don't have to worry about number 13 or 57 or 109 or 463 or 729. You just worry about the one that's in front of you. Impact that life and watch domino ripple effect in the mighty hand of God take place. Barnabas would stand here today and said, it's amazing. Not only was my gift not too little, But I would tell you, it's never just one. It's never just one. In the domino ripple course of things, it's never just one. Oh, there's one other thing I think Barnabas would love for you to know. Turn turn with me, if you would, over to this wonderful section. By the way, if you're wondering how to come alongside Thumbprinted Lives, there's a little booklet on the resource table. It's just called Baton Passing Relationships. You've re- experienced so much that God's poured into your life. How do you bring that up to and, and, and pass it into the life of another? You don't want to bother them. Well, no, you're going to baton pass to them. And I tell young people all the time now, college students and high school students, I say, go bother people. And they say, what? Go bother them. They all are. How many of you have heard more than 100 sermons in your life? Raise your hand. Come on. How do you know where there's Christian music on the radio dial? You know, Christian music's helped you and you know where to find it? Um, how many of you know of a Christian organization that, that helps people grow spiritually? I'll tell you about one. It's called Forge Kingdom Building Ministries. So now you know about one. Put your hand up with me. How many of you have ever been someplace that, that's contributed to your spiritual development? I remember going to a World Gospel Mission conference or a retreat, a conference, a worship gathering. How many of you know about those kinds of things? Do you know who you are? You're the spiritually wealthy of the world. And there are lives that would be near yours saying, I could use a little bit of that. And my life might domino ripple a long way. If you would think about your spiritual inventory and, and commit to baton pass into emerging lives. And the cool thing now I'm, I'm discovering is that I get to do this even as I'm in Denver, Colorado, and I'm not where we had speakers just come back from North Pakistan and, 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 and from, from Nepal. We, we have speakers traveling the world all the time, but, but I just Friday got to take my 90-year-old mother to the chiropractor where I'm developing a relationship with a man from one of the most persecuted nations in the world, Belarus, and he's never heard of Jesus and all the things that are possible for him, and we're having a baton-passing relationship. I just keep to get passing to him and I know eventually because I've had this happen in my life he'll end up passing to others it's the domino ripple effect but there's something else that's pretty cool about what Barnabas did and would you turn over to chapter 11 this is such a beautiful let's put it up on the screen so so people who were now Christians out of that church that he'd sold a field and helped get started they were scattered by the persecution that broke out They were traveling as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. They were spreading the word only among Jews. Hmm. But some of them, however, had a little bit of a missionary vision. They they were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they went to Antioch. Imagine that. And they began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people, let's flip that screen, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. News of this reached the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, and he saw the grace of God, and all God had done, he got so depressed that he didn't have more to offer. No, no. He was glad, and he did what he knew how to do. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. 
He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And as you follow this passage on, you find that the very first place that people were called, what you would refer to yourself, the very first place people were called Christians, was where Barnabas, who as far as we know, didn't know how to sing a song or preach a sermon or never written a book. What he did know how to do was what he did. He used what was familiar to him. He'd been nicknamed son of encouragement and and he believed encouragement could make a difference. Let me do a fast survey with you. How many of you have ever received a note or a letter of encouragement in your life? If you've ever received a small note or a letter of encouragement, hands up, leave your hand up, leave it up. If you've ever gotten a note or a letter of encouragement, hands, leave them up, leave them up. Only put your hand down if you think you read it once and threw it away. How many of you think you read it more than once? I don't think I saw hands go down. So you read it more than once. How many of you think you maybe even not only read it more than once, how many of you think you kept the note for a while? Why is that? Because encouragement makes a difference. Missionaries will tell you who are serving in hard and remote places that just a note of encouragement is like cold water in a desert. It's an amazing source of uplift and encouragement for them. Do you know that the advances are greater wherever the efforts are greater? And the efforts are greater wherever the courage is greater. And the courage is greater wherever the encouragers are at work. To encourage is to come alongside and restore courage. Hebrews 3.13 says that we're to encourage one another daily while it's called today. It's to be an ongoing, active thing that we do. I've seen the fuel of that. I, I saw it within the radius of my sight line if I were to look out those, those glass doors. I remember as a young youth pastor in this church, uh, in the other side of the building, trying to lead something on Thursday night that we called power time. It was for young people. When all of a sudden, coming around the corner and walking down the middle aisle for youth power time was an old lady. I thought she needed help with direction. She had one leg shorter than the other. She had platform shoes on. She had an old lady black purse. And, and she was walking down the center aisle and she looked like she knew where she was and this is where she wanted to be. And she sat down. Befriended a couple girls sitting there. And, and Harold Sigwith, who was the head usher, who was nervous about the fact that she was in the wrong room. She was supposed to be with the old people in the Berean area. And, and, and he just motioned to me, You know, like he'd done his best and she's committed. After the service, he came to me and said, Dwight, I'm so sorry, Pastor Dwight, but listen, I told her where the old people met and she said she wasn't looking for the old people. (laughs) She'd heard that there was a fire among the young people and she wanted to be where the fire was. So she she came to, I don't know if this is going to happen again. What do I do, Pastor Dwight? And I said, well, we're not going to refuse anybody. We're an equal opportunity uh, meeting. So sure enough, this little old lady kept coming week after week. The next thing I knew, she was so encouraged and she was encouraging our group that she decided that God was really looking for someone like her that while she was just a little old lady who lived in a farmhouse across the parking lot, when you go to your car, you'll see a, a white farmhouse across the way. That week, she, she saw a letter from a prisoner to the editor of a magazine. And, and, and it said, I just gave my life to Christ in a prison crusade, and I don't know what to do next. If you know a grandmother-type person who'd be willing to write to me because she has time, would you please send her my name and my address? She wrote to the editor of the magazine and said, I'm an old lady and I raised five boys in that farmhouse over there. She said, I'm not afraid of boys. In fact, I know boys. You just tell that boy I'll write him. I got time. So she started writing Paul in prison. And Paul, through letters back and forth, introduced her to her his prison cellmate named Bob. She told me, Pastor Dwight, I'm, I'm leading these two guys through daily Bible study. I send them verses to look up and they send me answers back that questions I ask them. And, and she said, they've, they've started a little cell block Bible study and there's seven of them now. She said, I've got a captive audience. They're not going anywhere. <laughs> well, she was having the time of her life and, 
And, and all of a sudden, uh, uh, she came in and she said, Oh my word, um, Paul's going to get out in four years and he told me he's going to become a pastor. And she said, she didn't know prisoners sometimes get transferred, but he's getting transferred to Alabama. So I told him I'd write him there and I'd keep leading this other Bible study in this prison. So, so she said, I got two prisons now and, and I'm just going to, I'm going to keep up. And, and the next thing I knew, she had over a hundred prisoners that she was leading through daily Bible studies and sending them questions and they were writing back. And, and I went to have lunch with her one day and, and, and I, and I walked in her farmhouse because she was fixing lunch in the kitchen and, and I went to, Hang up my coat. There was nowhere to hang up a coat. There, there were files, and I pulled them out. Bible study lessons and all kinds of boys, men's names that she was writing to. And, and I asked her what happened to some of her furniture. And she said, oh, these are work tables because i got a couple volunteers coming out to help me. And, and then uh, I said, well, where do I hang up my coat? She said, oh, just put it in the downstairs bedroom. I went to, to put it in the downstairs bedroom, and, and I turned, and there was a map on the wall. And, and it was a map with dots all over the map. And I said, Grace, what, what are all these dots? She said, that's my mission field. Those are all my boys. And I said, well, Grace, who, what are these down in Cuba about? Oh, she said, I'll tell you over lunch. She was wiping her hands on her apron. And, and, and when we sat down, she'd fixed more food than two people could possibly fix. It was clear she'd raised five boys and she didn't know how to fix lunch for just one boy. But, but I sat at her table and as I sat there, she said, well, well, I'll tell you about Cuba. One of my boys wrote to me and wondered if I'd reach out and share Jesus with his wife. Oh, by the way, Grace, she doesn't speak any English. I said, what'd you do? She said, well, you know that prayer you taught us, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I went to the bookstore and I bought a Spanish Bible and I bought a Spanish dictionary. And, and she said, I don't know if my letter made any sense, but I got a letter back. And I was talking to one of my old lady friends. I said, I don't know how to read this. And she said, oh, you need Clara. She's an old retired Spanish teacher here in Marion. Well, maybe she could come out. And so Clara's been coming out to the farmhouse, helping me translate. And we're ministering to all those people now that, that God's developed. I remember several years later, Kingdom Building Ministries Forge had begun then. And Dawn and I were ministering at a singles conference in San Francisco, just launching lives out of that space. And that afternoon, I was in my hotel room preparing for the evening, and I felt like God said, you need to call Grace today. I had no clue why, and I, I called her on the phone, and I said, Grace, is everything okay? And she said, I can't believe you called. She's in this little farmhouse over here, and she, she had a telephone, one of the old black kind with a cord, the whole, the whole nine yards. And I could hear her walking around her kitchen. She said, well, it's interesting you would call today. My kids have been over here. They're worried about me. They checked my bank account. There's only $14.53 in my bank account. And they're worried about me. She said, I'm sending so many Bible studies and I'm sending so much mail out. She said, do you know that the postage department in Marion required me to put an industrial-sized mailbox in front of my house because the postman's tired of bringing all the mail up to the farmhouse? And I said, Grace, how many people are you ministering to? Well, she said, the last time I counted, it's 14,553. She said, you know, there may not be enough money to bury me, but souls will get to heaven. I asked her, Grace, what, what are you doing? What, what, what is it you're doing? She said, you know, I just pray for them. I tell them I believe in them. I write them encouraging notes in my letters and I send them the Word of God. And God does the rest. It's domino ripple effect. One letter at a time. And Barnabas would tell you, he just showed up in Antioch and he'd pat this one on the shoulder. Keep it up. I believe in you. You're doing a great work. Keep it up, sir. Sister, you're doing great. And he just encouraged them. Do you know encouragement is an underused, underutilized, powerful thing. In the early church, they tell us it was the way they kept launching lives and works of God through the ministry of encouragement. Is it time to restore that legacy, living, high-impact opportunity? You already demonstrated that somebody impacted your life when they wrote you a note or a letter of encouragement. Could it be a short text today from you to someone? Could it be the Spirit prompts you during your quiet time tomorrow and there's someone halfway around the world who needs just something from you tomorrow? Set 
set. God's saying to you, set. I want you to lead a high-impact life. I've wired you for this. It's not as complicated as you think. It's never too little. It's never just one. You are God's plan A, and the last thing I want to tell you is it's never too late. Do you know when you get to chapter 15, Barnabas and Paul have a sharp dispute, and they part company over one life. It, it, It looks like an inconsequential life. One. And this one life doesn't even look like a winner. You know, he wouldn't have made it through the Marines. I mean, to Paul, this guy went AWOL on them. He deserted them in Pamphylia. His name was John Mark. And and Paul just had no time for those kinds of people. Barnabas, who was always looking for where's the set, felt the Holy Spirit prompting him. John Mark... It's never too late. Late bloomers. You all love athletic games when there's a football. You know, there's Hail Marys, you know, and, 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 and the game gets... How many of you have been to an athletic event when at the end of the event, um, uh, you left a little early and somebody tells you the next day your team won and you said, no, it's impossible. And they go, oh, you should have stayed to the end. It was, it was all... The, aren't those exciting games when, when the turn happens right? You love those stories. You like reading them in books. You love them in movies when, when it looks like the plot. And then all of a sudden there's a turn and all of a sudden the story looks completely different some of you it is not too late and Barnabas looked at John Mark and thought he just needs he needs to launch I know it's never happened earlier in his life he doesn't seem to but it's never too late Barnabas comes alongside that life and later in life out of all four gospels my favorite is the one that got written by John Mark Mark's gospel Matthew Mark Luke and John. Commentators tell us that John Mark needed a Barnabas to believe in him. I said farewell at the Denver International Airport on Monday to a medical doctor who used to be a junior high boy in this church. This medical doctor was flying back home to Tennessee where he lives with one of his 16 children who he'd brought to visit me. This guy has turned into an amazing kingdom labor for God. But he rehearsed with a group of 30 students I was training last Saturday in our uh, outreach for for, uh, training building in Denver. And I put him in a chair in the front and I said, tell them how your life started. He said, well, I came to a church named Lakeview Church in Marion, Indiana, and I sat in the back of the room. When people tried to talk to me, I just acted like I was quiet and shy because I kind of was. I socially was inept and I didn't know what to do. And he said, I didn't do anything. Never walked an aisle. Never filled out a faith promise. I, I never did any of those things. And he said, seven years ago, my wife read a book called You Are God's Plan A, and after she read it, it's back on the table, she passed it to me and said, Richard, it's time. Read this book. Might be a help to you. He said, I read the book, and the only reason I read it is because you were my former youth pastor. I thought I probably ought to read a book that you wrote. But he said, by the end of the book, God was reading my, my life. And he said, I, I'm a late bloomer. I got a late start, and I got all kinds of time that I'm trying to make up. Richard has turned into one amazing kingdom labor over the last seven years, doing extraordinary things in missions, supporting and and raising up all sorts of future missionaries, supporting translation with unreached people groups. Came out just to encourage Don and I this past weekend. Sent me this week. He said, I think there's a Starbucks in Marion now. And he sent me a gift card for Starbucks. Said, you'll probably need coffee. You're always pushing kind of hard. Go get coffee on me. I thought, who in the world are you? That's not who you were. No, it's what Jesus does with people who start moving his direction. It was over a lunch in Indianapolis that a man said to me, I used to sit in the far back section of Lafayette Church and I would begin to weep Toward the end of services, I don't know if you ever saw me. Could you see me? I was kind of underneath that, that ceiling. I said, no, I never saw that. He said, I'd watch people who'd start moving toward God. And he started naming names, some of the names I named today. And he said, I always wished that was me moving. I, 
can't even tell you why I couldn't seem to move. He said it was like I'd just freeze and I'd just stand there weeping like I wish that was me up there, not back here. And over a lunch table, he said, I wish I had more to give my kids. All I can remember is some of the songs we sang. And so I sing those songs to my kids at night. But he said, if you get the chance, tell people, move, move at the impulse of God's love. I will tell you that it was during missions conference weekend in the fireside room over here that another movement God called forward 33 years ago. I didn't tell anybody of this church what was happening, but a missionary was speaking during missions conference, and while he was speaking, the Holy Spirit was speaking. Dwight, it's yes or no. Now, I'm asking you to start a ministry that doesn't exist. I need more kingdom labors. My human resource department is wanting. The labors are few. I need more. I used to sign my letters 33 years ago, the harvest is ripe, but the labors are few. Now I sign my letters, the harvest is ripe, but the labors are increasing because people all over the globe are beginning to discover that you are God's plan A and that it's never too late to get started and that it's never too little and the life that God puts in front of you today or tomorrow is never just one. And I decided the way I wanted to close this morning was for us to offer ourselves to God Romans tells us to offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice. While you have life and breath, while you still have breath, you have purpose. That's why you're here. While you still have life and breath, you have purpose. My mother, who's 90, wanted to come on this trip. My dad, who's 88, they're so busy doing outreach with their neighborhood and loving on people and sitting in their prayer chairs praying for... They're praying for you this morning. Like, like they're just actively involved. Monday night, I had my whole staff out uh, for, for a time of encouragement. My mom and dad show up. And my mother, 90 years of age, looked at them all and said, Well, I just want you to know, I'm all in. Are you all in? My grandmother knelt right over here in her 80s like David Livingston, the missionary, and said, My Lord, my King, my all, I again dedicate my whole self to you. I decided what I wanted to do was just give the Lord an offering this morning. Some of you, it'd be a great thing for you. This is what I did one missions conference, turned everything around. I I filled out a faith promise card. If you've never done that, I strongly encourage you to do it and bring it and kneel with it. Lord, I want to lead a high-impact life. I want to get started. We've got resources on the table to help you. Some of you ought to invest in the rest of your life. Um, If you can't, if you don't have the money, take the resource. Other people will provide. It always works out. We're not worried about that. We We want you to be launched into the life that you were meant to lead. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, it is an amazing gift you give us when you said, I came to give you life full of meaning and purpose. And we don't have to spend our lives. We get to invest our lives in what matters. We get to live each day for the cause that counts. And you have so many opportunities for each one of us. And it's important for us to know that what we have is not too little. And that there are lives around us, some of them maybe we don't know yet, like Barnabas walking across, but we should. And we need to step out and step over and near a life. What is your name? How could I pray for you? Lord, help us be those kind of people and know that we're your plan. You don't have a plan B. We're your plan A. We're it. And that for some of us in this room, we need to bust through the invisible wall It's been years or maybe never when we knelt before you and gave our whole life to you, even though we've wanted our life to make an impact and we needed to know today it's never too late. Would you quietly stand with me with your head still bowed? I just want to ask you a couple questions. Stand with me. I think it's important for our whole life 
Sometimes I felt like I needed to pull my wallet out of my pocket and I, I just needed to place it in front of God to say, all my resources belong to you. You show me at the impulse of your love when I'm to give a gift and I'm all in. There have been other times where God points to a life and I don't... Mick, we called him Mickey Veach here at Lakeview. I remember coming back from Miracle Camp and God saying, go ask that boy if he'd like to read the Bible with you once a week. I didn't know who he was. He'd come, it was his first time. When I asked him, he said, I don't have a Bible. And I said, well, I'll get you one. Would you like to read the Bible once a week? Now he's proclaiming and preaching the word. But he was a stranger to me. Some of us, we need to be willing to let God direct traffic. And would you be willing to kneel before him and say, direct traffic, is it somebody in my neighborhood? For my mom, when she lived here in Marion, it was a little girl that lived in this neighborhood over here that came out last summer for deep camp at Forge Kingdom Building Ministries, said I needed to get near my spiritual mom. She launched my life and she saw me when nobody else did in the neighborhood. And I came to Jesus through her, came over to Lakeview Church. And then out of that, I went on to become a women's ministry director in Indianapolis, Christian counselor. But she was just one life in a neighborhood. Who's in your neighborhood? God knows. And I just wonder if it would be a beautiful thing for him to see that we're all in. And for us to just, um, I'll just sing a couple choruses, but could I invite you, this is such a sweet place, to, to kneel. For some of us, what a treasure. Not to walk to your car, but to first pause and kneel and say, God, here I am. I have life, I have breath. Whether you're in junior high or you're in senior years, I'd encourage you to take a moment here while I'm singing and if... You just kneel for a moment and your conversation's done, then you can go back to your seat. But let him know that the high-impact life you want to live, you know, is something he has led and inspired this morning more that he has ready and waiting. And he's saying to you, set over and over again, 24-7. Lord, we are an offering and we're going to offer ourselves to you now. Yes, Lord, yes. That's what we say. We're saying, yes, Lord, yes. To your will and to your way. We say, yes, Lord. We're saying, yes, Lord. We trust you. Why would we not? We will obey when your spirit speaks. When your spirit speaks to me, we're praying with our whole heart, I'll agree. And my answer will be, yes, Lord. My answer will be, yes, Lord. My answer will be, yes, Lord. Shepherd of my soul, I give you full control Wherever, however you lead I want to follow I want to keep on making the choice to listen to your voice Wherever you However you lead Wherever, Lord, I'll go I am deciding I will follow you, Jesus Every day I'm deciding I will follow you, Lord I have decided I will follow you, Lord No turning back, no turning back I will say yes, Lord To your will and to your way
are an offering, Lord. We're saying yes to you. Yes to you today. Before Pastor Jessica comes to lead us in a closing prayer, all the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy? Who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort Here by faith in Him to dwell For I know whatever befalls me Jesus, you do all things well you do all things well I will say yes Lord yes Lord yes Lord to your will and to your way In the book of Habakkuk, we find Habakkuk crying out to God and confused why things are happening and and almost arguing, crying out to God. But in chapter 1, verse 5, the Lord answers Habakkuk and he says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. In just a few minutes here after I pray, I want to invite you to join us as we walk through these doors uh, to join us for a potato meal, which is uh, an opportunity to fundraise for the students. And really, this is an opportunity to set because it's an opportunity that we're raising funds for our follow conference for students to be impacted by God. And if you've ever been to a youth conference, you know God works in amazing ways. And so I want to encourage you to come join us. Our missionaries have been invited to join us as well, just as a way of blessing them. But would you join us in helping set our students to experience God in new ways? So I want to pray a blessing over you before we head out to the meal. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you that you chose to make us a part of your grand plan. You chose to put people in our way who would set us so that we can set and bless others. Thank you that you had the foresight to include such small people as us. Help us to do the same for your glory. In your name, amen. Now would you go out as Habakkuk chapter 1, 5 says, looking and seeing God at work. You're dismissed.